Hello, this is Graham Brown, Senior Vice President with NextGen Healthcare and Principal with NextGen Advisors. Welcome to our podcast. Recent emergency use authorization of vaccines developed by BioNTech and Pfizer and the anticipated EUA for the Moderna vaccine this week offer a light of hope to people around the globe as the phase of mass inoculation campaigns begin. It will no doubt take another six months or more before a significant population has been vaccinated. Meanwhile, the COVID-19 pandemic continues to affect people at unprecedented levels, straining the resources of healthcare systems and putting thousands of frontline workers at risk under incredibly stressful, exhausting, and sometimes disruptive circumstances. Today, we'll set the stage by discussing some of the key challenges facing doctors, nurses, and non-clinical staff who are on the front lines And we also want to look at the guidance of researchers and mental health experts for measures to protect the mental health of staff who experience psychological injuries to ensure they're provided with appropriate evidence-based support or care. I'm joined by my colleagues, Dr. Marty Lustick and Dr. Betty Rabinowitz. Welcome, Marty and Betty. Thanks, Graham. Hi. Hey, Graham. So let's begin with what are some of the challenges that uh, we know healthcare workers have faced this year. Uh, Betty, why don't you begin? 2020 has been an unprecedented year for the practicing physicians, both in the ambulatory primary care setting, but also and particularly in the hospital setting where clinical teams, physicians have had to deal with an onslaught of extremely ill patients with a highly contagious uh, illness. In the context of a public response to the pandemic that hasn't always uh, supported safety and prevention. And I think that those forces have been incredibly uh, stressful and taxing on uh, physicians in, in, in active practice. Marty? Yeah, as we approach this subject, I think it's helpful to make the distinction of we really have two fundamentally separate subsets of the healthcare professional workforce. Those who have uh, had to provide direct care to patients with COVID um, at the various stages of diagnosis and treatment who you know have gone through their own set of traumatic experiences and those who have been on at the other extreme who have been unable to provide care to their patients in their specialty because COVID has made it impossible for them or difficult for them to provide those services, um, particularly if they're required to be in person. And healthcare professionals in either of those groups and both of those groups have had pretty dramatic experiences this year, but very different ones, I think. The um, 2020 survey of America's physicians, the COVID-19 impact issue, cites some disturbing statistics about doctors' well-being. What stood out to you or surprised you in that report? Marty, do you want to start? I think what stood out to me, you know, I know that this has been a difficult year for physicians and, and others from a variety of perspectives, but I think one of the things in the survey showed, said that uh, compared to two years earlier when 40% of physicians reported being burnt out, that 58% are now reporting it. 
that spike in this overall sense of being burned out, I think tells us a lot about how difficult this year has been. Betty? Absolutely. Uh would have reflected on the same uh, statistic that Marty brought up. I think it was a, remember a year ago, we were talking about physician burnout as one of the biggest issues threatening uh, kind of well-being and recruitment of, of uh, physicians. And this has just amplified that further. I think the other uh, numbers that were very powerful and, and uh, remarkable were that 50% of physicians have experienced uh, anxiety as, a, uh, as it relates to COVID-19 and its effects on their practice. 30% of physicians who responded felt hopeless and many had sought mental health and other medical uh, services in this uh, context. And unfortunately, many described resorting to uh, drinking more and using other medications to help with these uh, mood effects. So. It clearly has been a extremely stressful and impactful uh, period uh, for practicing physicians. And I think uh, the distinction that Marty drew, whether or not uh, you were in direct contact with COVID patients and caring for them or just were impacted by the pandemic, uh, both groups have suffered significantly. Mm -hmm. So Betty, while we're quoting these numbers, I know you have some opinions about the quality of the survey itself. Why don't you share your thoughts on that? So just to qualify these numbers a little. Just so, so folks listening know that these numbers that we were quoting are from a survey that went out to, by email to 500,000 physicians on a uh, mailing list. The response rate was very low, just over 2,000 of those physicians responded and these results are based on those responses. It strikes me that particularly in a questionnaire that refers to emotional response to uh, and, and a very personal questionnaire, that there's pretty strong selection bias in who responds to these questions and that likely people who are uh, physicians who were more anguished, impacted, uh, struggling, would tend to uh, respond more, or there's a possibility that there's some selection bias around that. But still, I think this is a mirror into, if you will, a subset of physicians. And it's important for us to know that these emotions and responses are there, even if it isn't completely reflective of the extent of uh, impact on all 500,000 physicians who were actually surveyed. Mm -hmm. Well, since a quarter of them said that they knew another physician who had considered suicide, I hope you're right about the selection bias, that it's really yeah. not quite that yeah. high, because that's a really disturbing number. Yeah. You know, at the same time, I think there's some themes here that we see in other aspects of the literature. There have been studies by the American Nursing Association, as well as published uh, articles in the Journal of Diabetes uh, with regard to the mental health of healthcare workers in COVID-19 and trying to look at some of those fundamental issues. And I think what's consistent across these different reports is the the trauma that some frontline healthcare workers have experienced just dealing with, as you were saying, Betty, really, really sick patients working in a very stressful environment, not only with the volume of individuals, sometimes a lack of PPE, 
lack of compliance within their own organizations around how to manage patients or who is able to visit, etc. Some inconsistencies there and have brought about really a work environment that um, has been very challenging. And that's had a lot of impacts that folks have brought home. They're not able to always, these frontline workers aren't able to interact with their families. They have to go through decontamination procedures practically as they're leaving the work environment and returning to home. And I think all of those things after, you know, months and months are, are adding up and showing some real, um, some real outcomes in terms of uh, folks' experience with the healthcare work environment that they're in. Um, on a positive side, Graham, there's also a description, it doesn't come through as powerfully in, in the, the survey, but the description of the camaraderie, the sense of team, the sense of uh, togetherness and this life altering experience that all of these teams have had together. That's really I mean, positive and important. There's been an outpouring of support and, and recognition. And then there's a corner of all of these healthcare providers' minds in which there's this incredible dichotomy between folks who refuse to wear masks or uh, are kind of not taking the pandemic very seriously while they're experiencing the, the awful uh, brunt, uh, watching patients die alone, watching uh, being the only uh, pe- uh, person comforting dying patients. I think there's been a lot of contrast, which is very difficult uh, emotionally for people mm-hmm. to contain and process. Yeah, you know, as you describe that, Betty, it's it it reminds me. It's almost like an echo of the experiences that we all had going through residency training. A very difficult, in some ways, traumatic time for virtually everyone who goes through it, and yet the camaraderie and support that you get from your peers. Uh, you know, it's kind of bunker relationships that you develop that uh, uh, are incomparable to other experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also highlights the incredible hope that having the vaccine that Graham commented I started the podcast with that the relief, the, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel, the hope, the excitement that you see, the glee with which these care teams are exposed in their arms to get these shots completely reflects the uh, the extent of the difficulty, but also how joyful they are that there's there's a remedy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And a reminder of the reasons that little kids decided they wanted to be doctors when they grew up. Well, so let, let me build on that one, Marty, because there's been, um, there's been a term bandied about called the Fauci effect, which is, I think, an interesting uh, uh, title. Um, describing, you know, additional interest in the medical field, which is apparently translated into increased applications to medical school. At the same time, several studies indicate that healthcare workers may seek an early exit. And this survey that we're referencing speaks a little bit about how uh, some physicians, given the stresses and trauma, um, may want to retire from the workforce, from the healthcare workforce, if that was an option available to them. So given those two sides of the coin, what do you think the implications are for the healthcare workforce? Yeah, well, I, I have to say that, you know, looking at those survey results, uh, one of the more striking things was those, uh, the response to the question of, would you like to retire within the next year? And, you know, 43% of people over 46, 46 or over said yes, but even more surprising to me, to me was the 21% of those under 45 said yes. 
Um, and again, there may be selection bias there, but there's also, you know, a reflection of the trauma that I think they've been through in the past year. I do think on the hopeful side that there probably are a lot of kids because of the Fauci effect um, that we're going to see dramatic rises in the number of people going into healthcare, but that's going to take a long time to play out. In the meantime, we're going to have an issue of shortages. I um, actually am uh, taking a, a really hopeful view on this. I think it's totally exciting to see how bench science came through, how kids uh, can be fascinated by uh, the, the practical application of a very complex science of immunology and immune response and uh, the learning around that and how it came to the rescue and it, basically to rescue humanity from this uh, uh, this specific pandemic and the hope for next pandemics that we will, will be able to manage them. I can see, I completely understand the Fauci uh, effect. There's also been a huge reconnection of the public with the caring role of care teams as a whole, nurses, physicians, respiratory therapists, the care teams, the, the janitors, the people uh, working in hospitals. I think there truly is people who are rational and caring have, have really seen the best of uh, healthcare. Uh, and I hope medical school applications are uh, bombarded with thousands of bright, uh, hopeful, energetic, innovative uh, uh, young people going into the profession. And uh, those of us with uh, silver hair uh, can, um, can know that there's a young, eager, uh, optimistic generation coming uh, behind us. So not to be the total Eeyore here, I actually do think from the short-term perspective, there's a cynical reason why it may not be as bad as, as what this survey suggests, and that is the economic impact of this year on many physicians who thought they were getting close to retirement may force them to stay in the workforce um, longer than they had originally planned in order to recover from uh, the impacts of this year. So although people may say they want to retire and feel burnt out, whether that's going to happen is another issue. I also think that the, um, that the, the rapid adoption of telehealth capabilities is going to be another major attraction for the younger population. The idea that they could come into this profession and have the flexibility and capabilities that, te that telehealth uh, medicine affords them, um, I think will be another very practical reason that people will see this as a, as a more attractive profession than they might have. Absolutely. Let's talk, let's pivot a little bit. Um, another recent article in Nature talks about some of the strategies that can be employed to protect the mental health of healthcare workers. And uh, I would be interested in each of your perspective on what managers and leaders can do to help support uh, healthcare workers directly that are going and going through this experience and and living through this uh, situation right now. Some of this is is good management. So you know, uh, as leaders, to uh, have good open lines of communication with with your staff, thank people for the work that they do and show that you care about people 
if someone is you know, doesn't come to work, you know, make sure someone calls them, checks on them, sees how they're doing. Um, make sure that the that the workforce you know really trusts and believes that you care about their well-being, each of them, and that you're behaving in the you know it's kind of like the golden rule, but it applies everywhere in life, and it certainly makes a huge difference during difficult times. Betty, other thoughts? Yeah, I think that in addition to that, really putting in place good programs to identify employees, whether they're physicians or other care team members with particular vulnerabilities or additional uh, uh, emotional or background challenges like socioeconomic uh, capabilities or difficulties, and to identify them and get uh, the help necessary is really important. It's also important that there is um, a, uh, an openness to sending people for help, getting help uh, for teams. There's nothing sadder than the story of that uh, physician in New York who worked on the front lines, got COVID herself, and ended up being anguished enough to take her own life. Obviously, it's a one story in one case, but to identify these signs in people to, to get help, to... Um, to reach out, not to, uh, to let people isolate in, uh, in their anguish, and to continue continuously recognize special efforts and the work that's being done by leadership, the broader leadership in healthcare. And, you know, I, I would say all of these people uh, who've worked uh, this way should get another 30 days of vacation for 2021. Yeah, it, you know, it, in some ways, this issue makes me think about the, the practice in Southern California where we spoke to them, uh, a, a federally qualified clinic where they had behavioral health integrated. And one of the big benefits that they experienced this year was that they, were, they redirected that capability and capacity to provide direct support to the staff. And, and it, it was quite striking to me that that the difference that that could make both for the morale of the entire group and for the mental health of the individuals who were working in that environment. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that. Absolutely. Indeed. Well, thank you both, Dr. Betty Rabinowitz and Dr. Marty Lustig for your thoughts today. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe, uh, please feel free to do so. On behalf of NextGen Advisors, this is Graham Brown. Thanks for listening and have a great day.